We are in a series entitled, This is Our Story. I'm going to share with you a message that I've entitled, Homo Covenantus. Homo Covenantus. Now, I'm terribly sorry. Unfortunately, like the Greek and the Latin languages have some carryover. And so uh, I was a little nervous given, of course, our sociopolitical uh, context about putting out this title. But I'm going to stand by it, Homo Covenantus, because it is Latin. Several years ago, actually not too long ago, Yuval Noah Harari wrote two books, Sapiens and Homo Deus. And Sapiens was actually an international bestseller. It has sold over 5 million copies. It's been translated now into over 50 different languages. He has a TED Talk. He, of course, has been on all of the media and all that kind of stuff. And um, Homo Deus was just recently published. I don't know all of the stats on that. But they've been really a groundbreaking works on what does it mean to be human. Sapiens, of course, is about Homo sapiens. And Homo sapiens means wise man. So you have all the other uh, Homo species, Homo neanderthalus, Homo afarensis, and then you have Homo sapiens, which is us, or most of us in this room, who are wise man. That's the general definition and idea. That something has happened in our evolutionary history that has caused our cognitive abilities, our thinking abilities to advance so that we can create the things that we have created, to think about the things that we have thought about, to philosophize and to think about abstract concepts, all of these kinds of things. And he charged through a brief history of that for what has ultimately got us here. And what's fascinating about his particular work, uh, a fantastic read, uh, even though you may not agree with everything, is that one of the driving themes in his work is that man, humanity, homo sapiens, has created the need or has created the ability to tell stories. And those stories have been the ones that have caused civilizations to emerge upon the foundations of what do we think is true? What do we think is right? How do we identify ourselves? How do we see ourselves? How do we know who we are? And it was Homo sapiens, the first species that has basically developed storytelling as that process. Now, Homo Deus, which is the next work, is all about where is humanity headed. And of course, with things such as artificial intelligence, machine learning, all of the st- robots, etc., all of those things that are happening in our backyard, there, is, there are some huge questions about where is humanity going and what are people ultimately going to be becoming. Quick footnote, I'm going to be a little heavy today, as you can already see. This has just been saturating in my mind for actually uh, a while. And so when we got to this particular theme of covenant, all of this just blended together. So this is nothing new, actually. What uh, Yuval Noah Harari has done is actually nothing new. We've been trying to figure out one simple question for a long time, actually. What is man? What is a human? How do we know who we are? And how do we define ourselves? How do we shape our identities? This has been going on for a long time. And given the current disruption of a variety of things, such as artificial intelligence and stuff like that, that same question is coming up to the fore yet again. Who are we? What are we? What is humanity? And there's all sorts of different ways that humans throughout our history have defined ourselves by categories and by stories. Angela Das has this phenomenal project called Human Eye. Human Eye was a project to talk about race 
and color and pigmentation in a completely radical, different way. Uh, after her own challenges with racism and prejudice and stereotypes, she decided to take pictures of people and take 11 pixels off of their nose and find what is the actual color of that pigmentation and then translate that over to the actual Pantone color and then created an entire art project out of that. It's a really beautiful project. It's been a really incredible thing to see how people can't use the words black and white and yellow in the same way, or red. So it's an amazing work. What her work has highlighted is the false stories that we have often told ourselves about how we have categorized who is and who is not human like us. So race, color, and of course, as we have prayed about and as we continue to discuss and work towards, that has got to be a continual conversation in our community for making sure that we don't ever allow that kind of prejudice and racism and all of those biases to conform us to a way of thinking about each other and to humanity. Another way of thinking about it is this particular project right here, 23andMe. For those of you who... By the way, has anybody actually done this? I'm just kind of... Oh my goodness, we have a couple of you in here that have done this. Okay, I was at dinner with a couple sparkers a while ago. Um, I won't mention... Well, he can tell you who it was. Anyway, uh, we were talking about 23andMe, and it was just fascinating to hear about the report. I haven't done it yet, but they got the report back. And apparently, at 23andMe, you can also discover what percentage Neanderthal that you are, which I, I was, like, shocked with. And this person was surprised and shocked. This person, Sparker, said, I am 0% Neanderthal. And apparently, something on my face communicated shock and surprise and amazing. You're 0% Neanderthal? I no, that was no clue. So it was, it, was a, it was an awesome moment. Anyway, 23andMe. Where are we biologically, genetically? Where have we come from? That's another way for us to think about our humanity and our identity. And finally, as I uh, already alluded to, there's some pretty amazing stuff going on. Uh, things that aren't quite mainstream, but definitely things that are happening. Things that used to be on cartoons and in science fiction are actually happening now. Things like telekinesis, being able to move things with your mind, uh, the ability for robots to actually outwit human beings in particular areas of intelligence. And all of this, South Korea airports actually have robots now that greet you and meet you. Has anybody been there? I haven't been there, but I heard about this. Just incredible things that are going on. And many of us, many people are now asking the question once again, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be human? In this series that we're going through, this is our story. What we're attempting to do is we're trying to take this Christian faith, this biblical narrative that we, many of us have inherited, that is often popularized in various news and stories, etc., and we see how certain strands of Christianity, evangelicalism, or particular faith people project their faith and their Christianity out on the world stage, and they say, this is what it means to be a Christian. And what I'm going to attempt to share with you is that I think what's going on in our biblical narrative is far deeper and far more profound than just communicating to those of us who happen to believe in God and accept Jesus and all of that stuff to say, now this is what it means to be a Christian. What I'm going to suggest to you 
is that the reason, the reason why we read our biblical narrative or we're attempting to push our community towards thinking about story as the lens through which we read our narrative, Genesis and Noah and Abraham and David and Jesus and Paul, etc. The reason why we're pushing to think about it through the lens of story is because I don't think these biblical writers were attempting to try to make you into good Christians. I'm going to suggest to you that these biblical writers were attempting to create a kind of humanity that was second to none. In the midst of all of the disruptions and all the questions about who are we as human, I cannot think of anything more profound, historical, transformative than this story, but we have to approach it through the lens of story. If we simply see it as dogma, if we simply see it as this is what you must believe to be a good Christian, we might miss the beautiful push, the beautiful vision of what this biblical narrative is attempting to do. And today I'm going to suggest that covenant is actually one of those main pillars of that story. It's one of the main plot lines of this story, covenant. So what is a covenant And how does it answer or help us understand the question, what does it mean to be human? First, the biblical Hebrew word for covenant is the word brit. Everybody say brit. Now, the word brit actually literally means to cut. It shows up about 284 times in the Old Testament. Uh, The Greek word corresponding to it shows up about 33 times in the New Testament. But 284 times is significant, especially in the early passages. This is a significant theme throughout our story. Now, as soon as I say the word covenant, it's hard for those of us who have grown up in Christianity or in the church to think outside of this kind of definition. Covenants of God, which means promises. I've even taught this myself, a covenant being a contract or an agreement. There's some sort of exchange of goods, services, or there's an exchange of an agreement. You will do this and I will do that. We shake hands or we participate in some sort of um, ceremony and now we've entered into a covenant. We've talked about marriage being a covenant. You do this, I vow to do this. You do this, uh, I vow to do this. And then we enter into a covenant and seal it with a deal. Now, I want to, as I've said before, be clear. Covenant in the Bible actually does include promises, actually does include contracts and agreements. Those are all part of the covenant. But as so often happens, the way in which we interpret covenant through the lens of promise, and even when I hear that word promise in my American colloquial, I think you are going to do something for me. It turns this entire idea of covenant essentially into a spiritual vending machine, what some people have called a divine commodity. You just press a particular button, and as long as I participate in these particular actions, or as long as I'm good, as long as I am obeying all the commandments, as long as I'm doing this, then I am going to reap the benefits. Um, Take this to the extreme down the spectrum, and you have what's known as the prosperity gospel. That's the title that we give to it. But there are actually all sorts of different strains, both strong as well as mild expressions of this. So covenant actually does have this idea. In fact, in the ancient world, this covenant idea, the idea of cutting, was a very true one. This is an ancient stone dating to about 1300 BC or whereabouts. It's actually an agreement between two cities. 
all the way back to the 14th century BC. And this is what it says. It's a short little inscription. If the troops are defeated by the enemy, then they prepare the behind the river ritual, which sounds so like, you know, shady behind the river. Hey, we're going to go behind the river. Behind the river, they sever a human, a billy goat, a puppy, and a piglet. On one side, they set halves, and on the other side, they set the other half. In front of these, they make a gate of hawthorn and stretch a cord up over it. Then before the gate, on one side, they burn a fire, and on the other side, they burn a fire. The troops go through, but when they come alongside the river, they sprinkle water over themselves. They perform the ritual again in the step. They celebrate the ritual of the step in the same way. Now, scholars who have studied this particular text have suggested that this was actually a very common practice where we actually get the word covenant, meaning let's cut a deal. Take a human, a piglet, a billy goat, and a puppy, and you slice the two animals in two, and you lay them all on halves, and then two particular parties who are going to enter into this covenant actually walk through the blood, splashing all that blood up. And the general idea is this. If you don't keep your end of the deal, this is what you can do to me. And then I walk through, and if I don't keep my end of the deal, this is what you can do to me. This is a very common practice. I heard one story actually recently where uh, two Samaritans were marrying off their children, a daughter and a son, and they did this covenant. They sacrificed an animal, poured the blood into the pan, splashed around in it. I saw some pictures. It's really gruesome. And it's meant to be because you're supposed to recognize the, the importance and the weight of this agreement that you're entering into. The story that I heard turns out that one of the children didn't turn out to be exactly what the father said that that child was supposed to be. And the father of the other child murdered the father of the other found him dead in the desert. Because you walked through the pieces. You said that your word was that good. And if you didn't come through for me, then this is what you could do for me. Now, for those of you who have heard this story before that we've told in Israel, we've shared a little bit in the Genesis, I'm going to encourage you, if you haven't heard this, go back to some of our teachings and hear the fullness of the story. This is a really brilliant story. Because that image, that ritual actually plays into the Genesis 15 story with a guy by the name of Abraham who is called and then God tells him, listen, I'm going to enter into a covenant deal with you and I want you to grab a goat and a heifer and a lamb, a ram and a dove and a pigeon and you, you're going to slice those pieces. And so for those of us who are foreign to this, we're like, what the heck is that going on? But once you realize that, oh, this is entering into a covenant deal as before, And what's going to happen, essentially, is instead of Abraham walking through the pieces in his dream, a smoking fire pot and a pillar of fire show up, both symbols and representatives of Yahweh God. And they pass through the pieces for both parties. It's this brilliant shift and turn to say, listen, Abraham, we're going to enter into a deal. And you better keep your end of the deal and I better keep my end of the deal. My end of the deal, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you have lots of children, as many as the stars in the sky. uh, And you are going to be a blessing to to the world. Abraham, your job, walk before me and be blameless. Got it? Sweetness, perfection, no, no problem. But Abraham obviously can't do this. And so what God does in this incredibly 
progressive, redemptive move is walk through the pieces twice, once for Abraham and once for God. In some ways, communicating and saying, look, if, you, if I don't keep my end of the deal, this is what you can do to me, but if you don't keep your end of the deal, this is what you can do to me. A God that takes on the punishment of both parts. Now, the reason why I tell you this story is because it is in this story, it's in this cutting of this covenant, that God says to him, I am going to make a covenant with you and your flesh and all of your descendants after you. I am going to make a covenant with you, with you, your flesh, and all of your descendants after you. This idea of covenant is so important. It shows up about 11 times in this Genesis to 15 to 17 passage. Covenant. I'm going to make a covenant. I'm going to make a covenant. I'm going to make a covenant. In Hebrew, I'm going to make a brit. I'm going to make a brit. We're going to cut a deal together. And it shows up over and over and over and over again. And the Abraham story, for those of you who know the song, Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them. And so are you. So does the Lord. Da, 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 da. Okay, so the reason why that song is so critical is because Abraham ultimately becomes the image and the picture for the Messiah, for the movement of the Israelites, for the movement of Judaism, Father Abraham, and this covenant that he makes with God. Throughout the rest of the Old Testament and even into the New Testament, you hear echoes back. Remember your covenant that you made with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. Remember that covenant that you made with Abraham. Remember when you walked between the pieces, Jeremiah says. This is referenced over and over and over and over again. Abraham, covenant, becomes the image and the picture and the meaning, the symbol around the rest of the faith that comes down for the generations to come. So much so that you are one of Abraham's sons. Now, Unfortunately, there's a gender gap. Hebrew doesn't have the word children. It only has the word sons, banim. It's a male noun. But it simply means children. You are part of Abraham's seed, his line, his lineage, his generations. Which means how you think about yourself should be thought about through the lens of what in the world was this covenant that God made with Abraham? And how does that covenant make sense of my faith and my identity and how I live today? Let's go one step deeper for answering that question. Because if you read your Bible carefully, the covenant that God makes with Abraham wasn't actually the first time God makes this covenant. It comes actually before that with another covenant-making story by a gentleman named Noah. Noah actually is the first time that the word covenant is mentioned in Genesis chapter 6. But I will establish my covenant with you and, you, and you shall come into the ark, and your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. This is actually the first time the word covenant is used. And if you read your Bible carefully, and scholars have pointed out, there seems to be something going on between the Noah covenant and the Abraham. There is 
There's some parallel. There's some echoes that are going on. And in fact, if you take a look at the story carefully, look at all of the things that are happening between the two. And God said to Noah in chapter 8, 15. And God said to Abram in chapter 12, go out from the ark, go out from your land. And Noah went out and Abram went out. And Noah built an altar, and Abram built an altar, and God blessed Noah, and I will bless you. Be fruitful and multiply. I will make you a great nation. I will establish my covenant with you and your seed. I will give your seed this land. Scholars have pointed out that, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. What's going on with Abraham is actually a retelling of what happened with Noah. Noah and the rebirth of the entire creation was also supposed to inform what you thought of the Abraham covenant. So just like Noah was a symbol of righteousness and baptizing the earth and creating a whole new creation out of chaos and violence, so you too, Abraham, you as my covenant partner, are to do the same thing. Abraham becomes the ultimate image and picture for what Noah did in the flood story. And the rest of the Genesis story is about how Abraham and the rest of his family are to establish that renewed creation in the world. Brokenness becomes wholeness. Chaos becomes order. And darkness becomes light. And Abraham, I'm calling you, and I'm making this covenant with you, and I'm pushing you, sending you out into the world so that you and your descendants, which is all of us, can do what Noah did, which is to recreate the entire world. Chaos to order, darkness to light, dysfunction to purpose. Do you see the connection there? This is what is going on when we use the word covenant. But it goes one step further. If you read the Noah story carefully, it didn't start there. I will establish my covenant with you. Then never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood. God said, this is a sign of my covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you, all future generations. I've set my bow in the clouds, the keshet, as Tom mentioned a couple weeks ago, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth, the earth, the earth, the earth, the earth. When, when did I hear that word, the earth, before? When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all the flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and the flesh and the earth. When you read this Noah story and you think about where have I heard these terms before? Where have I heard this, these items, these nouns before? You start to realize, oh, wait a second. The Noah story wasn't the first covenant. The Noah story is actually a retelling of what God did in the very beginning in Genesis. Notice the phrase, the earth, on Genesis chapter 9. Now the earth was formless and empty in Genesis chapter 1. For seven days I will send rain on the earth. Notice the seven days of creation. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. Rather than being filled with the image of God, it was filled with violence. That word violence, by the way, in Hebrew, the word Hamas. 
The entire world, the entire earth was filled with Hamas. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. If you take a look at how the animals went onto the ark, they are surprisingly in the reverse order of God's creation in Genesis chapter 1. And one of the most important, beautiful pictures is that the ark walks on the water, over the face of the waters, just like the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. In other words, the Noah story, this Noah, he built him an arky arky, was all about taking an old story and saying, God is going to recreate yet again chaos to order darkness to light dysfunction to purpose and meaning. So when you put all of these together and you see that word covenant being strung through all of these stories and you realize that you and I are children of Abraham, ultimately children of the covenant, which harkens back to the recreation of Noah, which harkens back ultimately to the creation of humanity, which was designed to spread God's image and likeness over all of the earth to fill it, all of the earth, you start to realize, wait a second, the creation story is the covenant. That what happens in Genesis 1 and 2 is being pulled through Noah, is then being pulled through Abraham, will then be pulled through Isaac and Jacob. And then that creation narrative is going to be pulled through Jesus. If you listen to Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. If you read through that story, and by the way, how many miracles are in the Gospel of John? Seven. How many times does Jesus say, I am, in the Gospel of John? Seven. And at the very end of the story, when Jesus rises from the dead and Mary sees him, Mary mistakes Jesus for the gardener. Who was the very first gardener? So when we talk about covenant, we're talking about something that happened in the very beginning. The plot, the story did not change. The characters, the context, the place, the narrative, all of that took new form and new shape. But ultimately, the covenant. The covenant, the agreement, is not about what you get out of being a Christian. It's not what you get by putting in blessings into God and say, all of a sudden, God can bless me. It's not about an exchange of goods and services. The covenant is about identifying yourself, your ultimate identity, your ultimate purpose as somebody who has been created in the image and likeness of God, placed in the garden, this world, to care for it, to work it, to guard it, to protect it, and to be that image of God who went from chaos to order, dysfunction to proper function and meaning, from violence to blessings and from emptiness to fullness. And if you identify yourself in this way, if you identify yourself as a child of God, as a child of Abraham, as a child of the covenant, you should embrace that story. Somebody who lives like that. Somebody who identifies themselves as somebody who is attempting to live into this world beauty, 
rescue, reconciliation, hope, love, meaning, purpose, value. If you want to still think of covenants as something that God promises you, go, go right ahead. God promised land. Land for what? So that we could serve it and guard it, work it. God promised you descendants like, I'm claiming my covenant. I'm claiming it. God is going to give me this. So that you can be fruitful and multiply the image and likeness of God in this world. Covenant. God's going to make me great. He's going to bring me great things and I'm going to accomplish great things. Because you are in the image and likeness of God. Created in that Genesis way. So that if your name becomes great, it brings great repute to God's name. You can still think of covenant in this particular way. But without the story, it just simply becomes a vending machine. And what I'm asking you to do is pull that story through that you were created in that garden, in the image and likeness of God, to go from chaos to meaning and purpose. And my friends, the reason why this is so central to our biblical narrative is not, as I said before, so that you will become a better Christian. It is so that you will become a better human. This story is asking you to be this kind of human. Because what is the name of the first person in Genesis? Adam, humanity. And that string is being pulled through. So, in conversations, <laughs> in conversations, in conversations that I've had in my head um, <laughs> regarding this particular, <laughs> in thinking and processing about this, there's a story that Harari says, we are really good at telling stories. We're really good at identifying ourselves and creating those stories so that we can classify tribes and etc. And that may, the stories, the implication essentially in Harari's work is the stories that we tell will shape our future. Let's say artificial intelligence takes off, machine learning and robots and autonomous vehicles and all that kind of stuff. The stories that we tell ultimately will shape our future. And what I'm suggesting to you is that it is into this world that this covenantal story is especially even more important, perhaps, than it ever was. To identify ourselves, our humanity, as people who were created in God's image and his likeness, that we bear that stamp and that every single person bears that stamp as well. And as we identify ourselves in that particular way, we will then go out into the world to transform chaos into beauty and order, to transform darkness into light, to transform injustice into justice and love, to transform a bad reputation of God into a good reputation, to rescue and to take things that are dead and bring them back to life. And this is what I mean when I say homo covenantus. This is the kind of humanity that I think is being envisioned by this story. This is the kind of humanity that the biblical writers wrote down these stories 
to see happen in this world. And I'm suggesting to you, if we can think about our narrative, think about our stories through this particular lens, it could really radically transform humanity once again to be those children of Abraham, to be the children of the covenant of Abraham and of Noah and of the original covenant of the Genesis creation story. We need, desperately need stories. As much technology is going to continue to advance, we need these stories. And we need to be imprinted in our identities as people who live by these stories. And I hope that you will consider. If you're here and you have no relationship with the Bible, no relationship with God, don't have any care for Jesus, I would ask that you consider what kind of human are you and by what stories do you live by? Because this story has been told for thousands of years. And to steal from Tom's message, these stories are begging to be retold so that we too can live these stories out afresh and anew in this day, in this age, wherever that may be, whatever may come. And that, my friends, is homo covenantus. Lord, take all of these stories, transform us, And may our minds be shifted once again to understanding our identities as humanity, our identity as people created in your image and your likeness. And I know that there's so much chaos and darkness and dysfunction in this world. And I pray that as we live by these stories, we will get to see and witness once again, all of those things be transformed into light, meaning, purpose, order. And I pray this in your name. And everybody said, Amen.